Hi, everyone. Uh, this is Richard. Uh, just a special announcement. Um, after this week, uh, Inez and I, our weekly podcast, Clown Car, is going to be um, for subscribers only to this podcast. So this one is uh, uh, still uh, still for free. Uh, it's ungated. Uh, but for but for future podcasts starting next week, um, it's going to be paid subscriber only. So just FYI, so you can sort of plan your life accordingly. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I'm here with uh, Inez. Um, and uh, Inez, uh, let's start by um, <laughs> talking about what's, you know, sort of sweeping the world right now, the rich men uh, north of Richmond. I sort of, I don't know, I've tried not to like have just like mindless, as many mindless Twitter controversies these days. So I haven't even like talked about it on Twitter. Or I might have mentioned it only once or twice. I just didn't feel like dealing with it. Um, but, you know, what's what's your take on this thing? Um, I'm I'm just excited to get away from defending Richard Hanania and get back to disagreeing sharply with Richard Hanania. <laughs> you, know, you don't know what my take is uh, yet. You don't know. I could love this guy. I could hate him. I don't know. Uh, I don't know your take either, actually. Yeah. So I I um as as you may or may not recall, and I think I did talk about it on this podcast. I sharply criticized Sound of Freedom because I thought it was just objectively bad. Um, this I don't think is objectively bad. I think there's a reason that people are resonating or, um, people find themselves drawn to the lyrics. Um, it's certainly not sophisticated, but good music, it doesn't have to be. Um, I think there are elements of, of a good song here. Uh, and, and more than that, the phenomenon around it, it reminds me very much of, um, both the Tea Party and the, uh, the twin movements, the Tea Party and the Occupy Wall Street. And I think they, they came from a lot of the same observations and impulses, but obviously channeled into different paths in terms of a solution. Um, there were some songs like that. Like there's a song, uh, shutting Detroit down, um, by, I can't remember who, who wrote one of the country stars who wrote that song. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think it's, uh, it's refreshing to see something unless this is all giant psyop. Uh, I, I think it's refreshing to see something go from the bottom up. Um, now, maybe it's not as organic as it seems. So many things seem to be that way this day, these days. But I mean, I don't, I don't have a problem with it. I think, I think it was a pretty good song. And I'm glad to see some of that. Uh, I'm glad to see a song with the lyrics that he wrote resonate with people. Because I largely, I think there's a lot of truth to it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, as far as whether the song is good or not, I'm, you know, I'm not, you know, I, I, this is not exactly country, right? It's like folk you know, it's like folk music. I, you know, like I'm right not- wing, it's like right wing populist Woody Guthrie. Okay, That's, that would be that would be my genre for this. Yeah, so it's not something you know I would listen to, but I you know I don't care if people think it's people who like this kind of stuff tell me it's good. It can stand on its own. So you know, if they say that, uh, okay, I'll I'll uh, I'll believe them. Um, you know, as far as like whether there's like an actual like, you know, I think there's a couple of things here. It's like the message of the song, and then it's like you know, the reaction to it. So you see these people on Twitter, like, you know, Betty Johnson and like <laughs> these people are just like so excited. You know, they, they just, they just love this song. Like it's speaking some kind of, you know, truth to power. And it's, you know, it's just, it's just this kind of like, okay, he's, you know, a, a, a white guy who's rural um, and who doesn't like uh, elites and like, okay. And like that, you know, that's, that's fine. And you don't like, you know, Ill- liberal elites either. Um, but you know, what's, what's the message? He talks about minors, you know, he has some reference to this Epstein thing. Um, he talks about fat people. I actually uh, think that in writing, that's pretty clever. It, it yeah, just doesn't minors. work because it's, because it sounds the same when you're singing it, but like uh, minors and minors, like, uh, well, I, I didn't get it. People haven't heard the song. He's juxtaposing minors on, um, on, on like pedo Island, right? Jeffrey Epstein, uh, and, uh, minors like people who yeah yeah the song is like a minute isn't it you want to like play it's like two minutes you want to play like just some of it for the audience we could okay i don't know how i would do that well no i'll do it digitally yeah you're gonna have to do that okay i'm doing it yeah it's a short song i've been selling my soul working all day overtime hours for bullshit pay so I can sit out here and waste my life away 
Drag back home and drown my troubles away It's a damn shame What the world's gotten to For people like me People like you Wish I could just wake up And it not be true 18 million views on this Wow, looking at the YouTube Number one trending on music So yeah, this is pretty big I just want to get to the. I just want to get to the mic. Okay, I just got a. I just got a message from Inez just telling me that she can't hear it. I'm playing it. I don't know if people. It's being recorded or not, but I've heard it before, so really, it's okay. To hear it. <laughs> okay, so he goes. Yeah, so like he goes. They care about minors. Uh, instead of caring about minors on a. Uh, wait, what does he say? The, I want to find the exact there because I don't think it made any sense. Uh, rich men of. Richmond, okay, because uh, I thought the I thought the uh, and it goes, you know. I wish politicians would look out for minors and just not just minors on an island somewhere. Oh, I get it now. So the minors, they they should look out for minors, people in West Virginia, and not for minors. But he's saying they're looking out for the Jeffrey Epstein minors. Yeah, they I think looking. I think he means like you know they're <laughs> they're trying to have sex with the minors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, now I get it. Now I get it. Looking out for the minors. Okay, they're looking out for the mine. Looking out. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Fine. It's clever. It's clever. Okay, I get it. Okay, so he so like but like the you know the message. What's the message? Okay, it's it, I think it, there's just like this sort of mindless populism. Okay, rich is bad. Jeffrey Epstein is bad. Um, it's got this, you know, sort of tea party kind of idea about, you know, uh, people are abusing welfare. Um, it's like, I, I don't think it's the, I don't think it's the, you know, the worst, you know, I don't think it's like the worst message in the world, but I'm not blown away or impressed by it or <laughs> taken in by its, you know, intellectual depth or anything. Is there something, something I'm missing here? I don't know that it's a, a diatribe against being rich. Um, I think about, power in the society more than it is purely about has always been uh let, let's say a wrinkle um maybe not unique but a unusual wrinkle in populism of which there have been many waves um and that is there's actually remarkably low uh straight class envy it, among specifically among like working class americans i think there's remarkably little class envy and of course this is you know confounded marxists for decades because um they they simply you know uh i i hear it like there's a long tradition right like what's the matter with kansas why aren't these people voting on straight economic lines um i think it was steinbeck who who derisively described americans as a nation um of of temporarily embarrassed millionaires like making fun of the fact that uh, people in the working and middle classes in America actually think of themselves as at least potentially be, being able to become millionaires if they do things right, if they get a little luck, if they work hard. Um, I don't think that's something to mock, but, but so I, I just think it's, it's not, it's not a straight, like, um, I, I think it's, if we're going to call it the class difference, it's much more like what, um, Coda Villa wrote about, you know, back in 2010 about the ruling class versus the, the rest of people. And I, I think understanding this in pure class lines probably goes down some of the same mistakes that David Brooks continually makes where he says, um, how do we understand class resentment from people who have votes in Florida? Um, I, I, I think that's just a simplistic and material sort of reductionistic right. yeah, um, that's, Marxist that's way your, of looking at class. Yeah, that's your view. And that's, that's my view too. But I, you know, I think that the reason, that, you know, I think that, you know, it doesn't mean we can never get to that class envy, and it doesn't mean that that doesn't exist here. So in the song, he starts by saying, "You know, I'm working all day for BS pay." And this was the um, this was the um, uh, controversy in the National Review article um, in response that made a big stink on Twitter, where the guy was saying, "If you're working all day for BS pay, like you know, get another job because in America, like you know, <laughs> people make people make overtime pay, and they you know they make they make a good living." Um, and so in this song, how is this about power? It's just basically saying it's starting, I'm, you know, I'm poor. Um, my, my job sucks and there's no like, oh, it's because the liberals, um, 
you know, had too much regulation and I want, it's, it's just, it's just pure. I'm not making money. Right. And the, you know, the default of that is like some rich guy took opportunities from me, unless there's some other way to interpret that. Oh, I, I think there is another way to interpret that, which is, um, and in my own sort of view of the world, I think I've changed quite a bit since 2015. Uh, when I had a similar, I think, reaction as you're having now to these kinds of resentments coming, uh, to basically, you know, that, that America is a relatively mobile social, uh, socially mobile society, um, that actually, you know, things are pretty good here. This is, this is a great country. Um, and I think that I underestimated the extent to which, um, the, the game really is rigged policy wise. And now I kind of, do tend to see that across different sectors in a very real way, starting with all of the policies surrounding higher education, by the way, that we've talked about before. But um, I, I, I do think that there's, uh, and, and to add to that, there has been this enormous swing of people who do have power and money into a particular set of cultural positions um, in a way that past sort of, I don't know, if you, if you want to go back to, to Robert Barron's, as, as the left would call but him. He's, or, but he's not talking about that. Industry. He starts a song with, I'm working all day for BS pay. He doesn't say, oh, they're forcing me to, uh, you know, accept, uh, use new pronouns. and new, He doesn't say that. He's just no, saying... No, but I think, I think it adds to the cultural resentment, right? I think, I think the fact that people resent the way... Um, and, and the second piece of this is really people in, in the middle. Um, I think this is not actually to the extent that it's class-based, it's the working and middle class um, against both ends, right? Which is also the heart of American politics and has been for quite some time. The Republican Party has been the party of the middle, now extending into the working class. And the Democratic Party has been the uh, party of both the wealthy and those dependent on government, right? Like directly for for checks, like a welfare class, right? Um, and I don't think that that's hard to synthesize. I mean, obviously, he's he's um, making a piece of art out of it, and it's not like a set of policy proposals that shouldn't be analyzed that way. Um, so I think it's fine, like as a song. But I, I see where that resentment comes from, and and particularly, and maybe this is a good segue. Um, particularly, like if the California model is designed uh, in many ways to squeeze the middle, um, where actually it's extremely generous, that model, if you're willing to completely become a serf and dependent on government, and um, you can live quite well in California just on government benefits, right? Uh, you can shoot up all the heroin that you would like. Uh, the government will give you a place to do it and, and, and free needles. Um, and, and on top of that, there are generous welfare payments um, and so on and so forth, right? And then on the flip side, there are plenty, plenty, there's plenty of money to be made uh, whether you're in Silicon Valley or in Hollywood or or in the financial sector in California, which still exists, um, there's there's plenty of, of gold on the ground, so to speak, for uh, an elite class. But if you are making middle class salaries in California, it it is increasingly like Brazilified, right? Where you have the very poor and the very rich, and the middle class despite having high taxes for rich people, no matter even if you have a progressive taxing system, right? Um, you, the bulk of people are still in the middle. And so if you have very high taxes on the middle class in order to fund any of this stuff. Yeah, this, this guy's not talking about that. I mean, like, uh, we, no, I think that's exactly what, I think that's exactly what the resentment is. It's the resentment of people who work very hard to get not that far ahead of what the state is giving for free to the welfare class and feeling like they are never or, or look, look down upon both culturally and financially by people who are way, way ahead of them financially and it getting squeezed by both sides, getting squeezed culturally from the top and getting squeezed financially from the bottom when there's just not that much. People start to get very resentful of and, and they're right to get resentful if, if you're not going to be that much far ahead by, quote unquote, doing the right thing. This is what starts making ordinary law abiding people absolutely, absolutely go psycho if quote unquote, doing the right thing means that you end up screwed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they, I mean, he, okay. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, you could read, um, you can read this, um, like you could, you know, if that's the, if that's the, you know, perspective that you want to see for this, 
you you can see that. I just don't, you know, I just don't. I, first off, forget this, you know, this guy. We could speculate on this guy and what he sees and what he's what he's angry about. Um, I don't. Is, is he even that poor? I mean, I, I thought someone. I thought I saw on Twitter. I haven't looked into his personal story. Like, what's his actually class background? Is he actually like rich or poor or anything? I don't know, and um, I. This leaves me to probably the part that I care more about about this song. Uh, I think there is sort of a populist resonance of the lyrics. I think it's fine that people like this song. I'm happy to see it to some extent. It's not gonna. I'm, I'm not gonna be like playing it on re- repeat or whatever. Um, but like my attitude is very much like sort of good for you. But now we see this destructive media coming behind, and I, I know it started before this, but. For me, it really started with Ken Bone. The second that any like ordinary person, normal person, um, who is not a political commentator, <laughs> okay, and is not like just an ordinary person who who then inserts himself into some kind of of political question, whether it's by writing a song like this that has some political overtones, or um, in Ken Bone's case, right, all he did was ask a question about energy at a town hall debate, um, and and ask presidential candidates to answer a question, which is what those things were for. And p- then he went sort of internet viral. And then the entire apparatus of the media comes in behind and decides to give these people a colonoscopy on the, on the national stage. So now they've found that this guy, you know, had on his Spotify playlist, you know, some, some nine 11 was rigged videos or whatever. Like who cares? You know, are you voting for him for president? No. You know, it, it just, it's such a misapplication of the idea of what's newsworthy. And I, I think it's a very like ugly impulse. Well, I agree. On the part I mean, I agree. I, I agree with that. I mean, you know, um, you know, the, you know, the question is why, um, you know, the, the, I mean, the question is like, is this actually driving any of the call? Like, let's say the economy was a little bit, uh, better if whatever you, you cut off welfare a little bit. And then you had, um, uh, yeah, you know, it's, you know, so you cut off welfare a little bit and like, you know, and the cultural stuff stayed the same. You still had affirmative action and gender theory, uh, and all that other stuff. I don't, I don't think the economic stuff has anything. I mean, I don't think there's any evidence of that. I mean, there's countries which have right-wing populists who hate elites, who have strong economies. There's countries um, with weak economies uh, that have this stuff. Um, you know, I don't think, like, I don't think people are very good, like your typical, whatever, any person, you know, random person is like good at understanding economics. So like, I don't think like the average person like knows like what a fair system looks like versus what an unfair system looks like. Like, honestly, like, I don't think they know like what's a sensible, like, you know, amount of welfare. Um, and so that's a, that's, that's a very anti-libertarian impulse. And I'm reminded of the chain exchange and Schechter poultry, right. That, um, case that legitimate that that was about uh what how how much power the the um fdr's congress right was going to have to expand the new deal um and there's this this infamous exchange back and forth with the lawyer and this chicken farmer um schecter who's on the stand and he's like do you know what what you're doing with like by selling chickens at this price do you know all the effects on the economy that it creates you know the national effects he said no i just know what like how to sell chickens Right. Um, it's a very, to some extent, it's a, it's a very anti-Hayekian argument you're making. No, I'm not making the anti-Hayekian argument because you're using an example where someone is sort of against the New Deal, right? And they're sort of arguing the case against central planning. I mean, there's, you know, I think that it just as easily goes in the other direction, uh, where people think that the government should be doing more for them. I think that's just as common. Like a lot of people who don't like welfare, uh, you know, like welfare will pour very poorly, you know, uh, um, if you just say, you know, give people more money. If you, if you say like guarantee everyone a job, like make work kind of programs, like that stuff tends to be very popular. And so like, I don't think like there is some deep wisdom in the masses. That's so, on- but that's, that's what I say is anti Hayekian in, in, in a certain sense. Um, it's not because the, this guy is making one argument for one type of economic arrangement and, and Schechter was making another. It's, it's the, as I understand it, the idea of Hayekian economics is that uh, people who are making individual decisions, that those individual decisions, you know, this is this is the quote unquote wisdom of the free market so far as it goes, right? That that people actually know better what their individual situation is. And when they look around and and see, for example, people abusing welfare, which 
this is exactly the sort of thing that I think, uh, you know, somebody in AI or even somebody like you who's trying to crunch economic numbers, um, it's very, very difficult to account for individual differences. Whereas somebody who's actually on the ground looking between, you know, neighbor Bob and neighbor Jim sees that neighbor Bob was working hard his whole life, but then, you know, had an accident or something happened or a downturn and he's, he's hard on his luck and he's, he's, he's accepting this government paycheck. Um, and, and versus they can see their neighbor, Bob, who, um, Jim, I can't remember now, which whatever, um, is, has, has used it as a crutch and has not tried to seek a job and, and, you know, is, is doing, is essentially living on the, on the public dime. You know, you might have the exact same two demographic characteristics between, you know, these two neighbors, but if you're, you're in it yourself and looking around at life, you might feel enormous resentment towards one of them and no resentment at all towards the other one taking the exact same program. And that's the sort of thing that you can't, you know, you can't see on yeah. a spreadsheet. I, I agree. Yeah. I agree that in that, okay. So the, you have the Hayeki and the sort of classic uh, Hayeki and of just like price system and people, uh, you know, uh, you know, responding quickly to incentives. And yeah. Okay. There's, there's that. And I think you're making a little bit more, um, broader point that people, you know, about knowledge, there's a book called uh, Seeing Like a State uh, that sort of talks about this. It's just like, you know, the person at the bottom sort of understands more than the government central planner or whoever. That's true. You know, if you're saying like, oh, like who's hardworking and who's not. Um, but if like, you know, the question is like, can, you know, let's say Bob uh, know like which of his neighbors is contributing to society like in a more, um you know, for example, like I think most people would think that like a white collar, white, you know, white collar job in government um, contributes something to society or they might, you know, they might think that like someone who's in some kind of central planning bureau and, you know, some, some kind of, you know, thing in the department of agriculture that just gives out farm subsidies or whatever, you know, the big brain economist person who I think is, you know, probably doing the right analysis can say that that's bad for um, the economy. But like the person on the ground who sees their uh, friend go to like the you know, department of agriculture every day and like give out these subsidies, um, that person doesn't know that that person who's giving out the subsidies is uh, necessarily harming society. Maybe they're helping society, maybe harming, but it's not like, you know, I think like you need the economist or you need the sort of outsider perspective or you need the theory to understand. Yes, they know they're like one cousin is like a bum and like will not go to work and the other, their other cousin like gets up and brushes his teeth every day and goes and does his job, right? Um, but like the idea that there's like economic wisdom, like they can make a moral judgment maybe. But like the idea that there's like economic wisdom, like in the masses, that's what I would argue against. I guess yes and no. It's not that I deny that theory has its uses and places. Um, I guess I have a much more mixed regime sort of uh, perspective on this, where there are certain types of knowledge that the masses do possess. Um I think and that's right too. The question, yeah, the question is the question is which, what what are those and, areas? And of there are certain types of knowledge that are best left to um, the few, right, versus the many, because by nature they're more technical. But I, I, and then all of this on top of it has, as you just separated out, right, economic knowledge versus moral knowledge, and even in the in the case of moral knowledge or virtue, I would never argue that. Um, you know, that, that the masses are on average more virtuous than the, the elite or that that's always true or something like that. Um, I do think that it's easier to fall into certain, uh, moral errors in the elite. Um, and it's, it's, there are other moral errors that are, uh, are often more common among the masses. I, I just, I, I think there are advantages to both. I mean, Aristotle famously saw this, right? Um, there are advantages to different. Um, I mean, I guess I'm making an argument for genuine diversity here, which, which, which is that there, the ideal regime harmonizes and synthesizes those different types of knowledge, where the excesses of the elite are sometimes corrected by common sense um, and and on the ground kind of knowledge that is is uh, in in the elites you know, um, desire to abstract it into theory often misses a lot of the texture and then sometimes gets so far off the mark that it's no longer attached to reality at all. And we see that all the time in the last 30 years of our elite. Um, and, and then on the flip side, right. Uh, 
you know, th- th- there is something to the the fact that um, the kind of discipline that's necessary to attain uh, certain kinds of knowledge, of wisdom, um, and even of of self, uh, even of, of like virtue, right, um, requires a certain amount of like, uh, again, like, like knowledge and time to invest and in certain aristocratic tendencies. Um, and, and so I just, I, I don't think, I think this is, uh, the goal for the regime is to balance those things. I think America does have a healthy, I, that's, I think, I think, for example, populism is a very healthy movement for America now. That doesn't mean that I would always be a populist. There have been plenty of populist movements. Um, I can think of four that I would, I would count as successful insofar as they elected a president. Um, the, the first being the Jacksonians, right? Um, coming in behind what is sometimes called the era of good feelings, but in reality was, was perceived by much of the country, much of the country as a uh, congealment <laughs> of, of power in the hands of the same people in Washington. Um, so there, there, there was this populist revolution that swept Andrew Jackson in, who was perceived much as Reagan and Trump both were as this bumbling country party guy who doesn't know what he's doing and can't spell his own name. Um, none of which was true. And, and then I would say FDR led a very serious populist movement from the left, um, and succeeded in, in transforming the constitution of the United States, uh, permanently probably. And and then Reagan was, was, it's easy to forget the Reagan revolution was a populist revolution. Um, I think successful to a point and Trump obviously, and we're, the jury's still out as to how successful the Trumpist movement has been. And there've been many in between, like there, there's obviously the know nothings and there's many like, uh, populists sort of bubbling up that, that died, or maybe they succeeded by just reinserting an issue often immigration into the, the mainstream. So I think, I think of populism as a corrective and I can't think of anyone more in need of a populist corrective than our current elite. Yeah, I am, um, you know, I'm divided. I, 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 the, you know, I talk bad, you know, I talk nonsense. I talk about populism, you know, in a bad way. And I think as I'm just sort of, I'm comparing them to other people on the right. Like, um, but I, you know, I do, th- I, I'm, I'm actually divided on whether I think it's overall good or bad for, America. Like I can see, I could see the, I mean, I could see the pluses for it. I could see that like during COVID, uh, the elites were completely broken. I think, you know, the, the resistance to a lot of the, uh, excesses of, uh, you know, the Corona restrictions, I think, uh, were great. I think, you know, as long as, you know, to me, the important thing about populism is as long as sort of the, the pro market people are in charge, like the Tea Party was a populist movement. Um, I think there are people who are basically socialists of the right who, who are also trying to harness that populist energy. So I, like, I worry about that. Um, but yeah, to me, this is, it's, it's like, you know, like you said, it's very contingent, uh, on what the form, because the, you know, the populism doesn't have its own. It's sort of, it's just energy, right? It's just energy and its instincts. And it really depends on the people with ideas uh, that are going to end up. It's it's energy uh, because that energy is usually sparked by some common experience. Um, and now we're returning to Richmond, north of Richmond, and why, you know, this song has millions and millions and millions of views. And I would say that it points to a common experience. Now, I I'm the last person who would say that, that, in order to be successful in and defining success as actually improving people's lives, often that kind of energy has to be refined and, and uh, often by, by leadership in a, in a mass movement, right? It has to be transformed into something more concrete that actually delivers results. And, and often an amorphous bottom-up movement is not the best vehicle for that. Um, but it, it comes from a knowledge of a common experience. And, and I guess what I don't agree with, whether one likes this song or not, is the kind of contempt for, like, if this is resonating with so many millions of Americans because it, they feel that it somehow connects to the way that they experienced life in America for the last X number of years, um, there's likely something to that. I mean, but yeah, I mean, you can say the same about Insane Clown Posse or, you know, NWA. I mean, just not everything that connects with, you know, millions of people is necessarily good for the country. And so it may be in this case it is, or maybe, maybe it's not. It's just sort of a, uh, you know, just sort of a, you know, I, I just, I. I'm I, not I, saying, I'm not saying anything as reductionistic as that it's automatically good for the country. 
I'm saying there's probably something true and common that's sparking so many people. And yes, I have a high opinion of my fellow citizens. Um, and I think that it's likely that if so many millions of Americans specifically are resonating with some idea, it doesn't mean that I like seed my own judgment of whether that's a good or bad idea in some like deference to the Oracle of the masses. Um, but I do think it probably is reflective of something real. Um, I don't think of Americans as incredibly, uh, like, as a people in terms of cultural traits. I don't think of Americans as a particularly class-resentful people, for example. Um, and so when you have mass class resentment in America, there's probably something to it. Um, now, maybe the solutions that catch fire are not good ones. I, I don't know. You, you'd have to, like, actually have a more refined idea of what where that populist energy is going before I could even decide if I think it's good or bad, but I don't like the dismissiveness of it. I don't think it just, it, I don't think that Americans have shown themselves, um, you know, like whipped up by easily whipped up by the basis of, of sort of, um, impulses. Like, I don't, I don't think Americans like, for example, are, are excited to like go do pogroms, right? Like that's just yeah. not part of our history. It no, hasn't ever been part of our history. I don't think so. Yeah, I agree with you that Americans are not particularly class resentful and probably are one of some of the lowest um, in the world. Um, that being said, I still think there's too much class resent. Like, I think that like even the human baseline is like too high. So that's just sort of my perspective. So I still sort of look out for that in the culture and, and still don't like, I, you know, I want to preserve that. I don't want to see like movements and, uh, songs and ideas and cultural memes, uh, that try to push people in the other direction because, you know, there's always people trying to change the culture. The culture is always fluid. It's always changing and, you know, you don't know what it's going to be, uh, 20 or 30 years down the line, right? Yeah, I mean, yes, uh, but I, again, so Patrick Deneen, actually, who I find to be the most serious of the the three, um, what is it, the, the most popular, like, I don't, Vermeule won't debate anyone. I mean, I like him. He seems like a nice guy, but he, he doesn't seem to think nice he, he needs to <laughs> debate anybody um, at all. Uh, it doesn't seem very nice to me, but yeah, maybe a different experience. I, I don't know. He, he's very quick to like block people. He doesn't engage with people, um, which I, I even, and he'll hide behind the idea that like, oh, debate is this liberal construct, right? Why should I have to, well, what, no matter what your views are, whatever your post-liberal views are, you know, you're, you're like a fraction of 1% in the country. So it probably behooves you if you believe that you're right to try to convince more people that you're right. Um, so I just find it to be a, Deneen, like I think, wrote a pretty serious book on this too. Um, I guess two serious books on this, and I'm only halfway through the second one. Um, but I, I think there is something about uh, there. There is a connection between elite and a kind of uh, degraded, both elevated and degraded culture, right? That that like in different times or different parts of the society's life cycle, the elite can either be the only place where something truly elevated culturally is being produced or can be right. Also, alternatively, they can go very, very far down a very like into a very degraded place, you know, think Weimar Germany. Right. Um, so, I don't know. I, I think, again, I think there are strengths to, I, I, I'm not being particularly articulate here with why, but I, I do really like, I, I do respect essentially information. And that's why I brought up Hayek in the beginning. I guess um, if you want to think about it in libertarian terms, which I don't, uh, I, I think that we are getting very real information from people who live substantially different lives than you or I. And I think that there's a, there's something very important, first of all, in terms of, of getting to a good regime, about listening to that information, um, even if you don't agree with you know, every piece of or how it's going. But there, there is something uh, essential about that information. And then furthermore, in the system that we have, one must respect this because this is how we, we adjudicate our differences as citizens. Well, at least you know, in the schoolhouse rock version of America that we have long since transcended. But uh, that's how we're, we're ought to, under yeah. our system, adjudicate our differences. 
Yeah. You know, I'm fine with listening to people. I, you know, I just, uh, you know, we, we could, we could move on, but I, I just think that it's more, you know, it's like, does it tell us something about the regime or are we just like listening and we learn something about human nature and the human nature is always going to be there, right? Does it reflect on the elite? Because sometimes I think just some things are just like human nature and like, like, for example, like people will say, Oh, why do some people believe in conspiracy theories? And people will say, Oh, it's a liberal will say economic inequality or a right winger will say something else. They'll say, Oh, it's because these, you know, these people don't trust the elites because they impose on them culturally or whatever. And you know, my opinion is often it's just like they believe in conspiracy theories because they believe conspiracy theories because they're fun and people don't often not have the you know mental capabilities to process information well and they're misinformed and so you know a lot of it is, uh, then, is in, like, in your explanation how do you how do you account for the change over time in people who find conspiracy belief uh theories communicate communications technology uh facebook and twitter lets them find each other and spread their ideas easier before you just had the national inquirer and you just had tv and newspapers and they wouldn't put that stuff on and now anyone can have a facebook page and have you know millions of followers and say any kind of nonsense and to me that that's so maybe maybe you don't believe this um but it's it seems like the gatekeepers believe that that we have had a substantial rise not just since the rise of social media and the internet uh, but in the last, let's say, four or five years of people who believe in conspiracy theories, and there are many pieces in the mainstream media lamenting this fact, right? Um, and I, it seems obvious to me that it's connected with the, the, the very obvious failures of mainstream gatekeeping to, to actually to get data. things correct. Yeah, I'd have to see data that it's gone up. I mean, I, people have always believed crazy. Th- in 1990, you know, you could have asked people, they probably would have believed in all kinds of crazy conspiracy theories, but people didn't have, they couldn't go on Twitter and build, you know, a base of a million, two million followers and bring it to everyone's attention. I think people were just, uh, you know, ignorant of, of what the masses believed. So it's like this with a lot of things, not just conspiracy theories, but like economic resentment can be seen the same way. Just people, you know, it's always sort of there and the technology changes. Uh, you know, I, I'd be in open to data. If, like you can measure, consp- it's hard to measure because the conspiracy theories, what they are change over time. Um, but, you know, I've, I've seen data on, you know, I remember data on 9-11 um conspiracies like back in like the era just a few years after 9-11 and they were pretty high and they're probably you know i don't know if they're any higher today they're probably about equal today um it's just people are people are drawn to this stuff um despite how much has changed in the last you know 20 something uh 20 something years um but anyways um i don't know i i I very much see it as the, the opposite directionality of the thing like you see it as top down in other words because there's a democratization of media and people talking about this stuff um that, no, it's bottom that up simply the there people, were it's in the masses and they they, they can no, no, I, I guess i didn't mean elite top down i meant like as yeah. in more people hear conspiratorial messages therefore more people believe it and i see that causal relation and I, I don't know how one would even go about like adjudicating this empirically which one of us is correct but i see it very much the opposite way where people are seeking out alternative sources of information because they're so fed up with the lies of the the allegedly you know legacy or mainstream information sources that have proven themselves repeatedly over and over again to tell you know completely nonsense and i know to some degree that you disagree with this and you think the media is more honest than people think it is i don't i mean the number of of major national stories that the news media has gotten wrong like factually wrong just in the in the last five years, important stories, not like oh, little, little, you know, whatever. Unquestionably, there are many. Yeah, you're you're right. I, um, I I think there's just more people seeking out alternative sources of information, and some of those sources of information are Alex Jones, right? Yeah. Um, well, Alex Jones is just funner than ABC. I don't think if ABC was 100% honest um, or 100% truthful, like that would take away Alex Jones's appeal. That's the difference. I just think that Alex Jones is fun and he just makes things up and like he tells people what they want to hear that there's these, you know, elite pedophiles and they're out to get you and people just like it. I mean, people have lowbrow um, kind of taste sometimes and that's fine. I accept it. I mean, I don't hate them. I don't want to shut them down. <laughs> I enjoy Alex Jones. I think he's funny. Uh, but, you know, I, I just think I not everything is I don't hate Alex Jones like- either, but I, I think there is something to the fact that many more people find Alex Jones plausible. Like, and, and I guess this is an empirical question. The question is, you know, do the 
does the appeal of somebody like Alex Jones increase with the obvious failures of mainstream sources of information? And and my gut instinct is yes, by, by quite there, a bit. I think there are probably a few issues. Like I think I'm actually, I, you know, so my, my opinion is a little bit more, uh, nuance that just like it's just always there it's like yeah i think the gender stuff i think the race stuff i think the gender theory drives people crazy i do think it drives people against elites the economic system and like this sort of you know i think there's probably like three issues i think people think like elites are just you know they're they are crazy on race they apologize for like crime and they dislike you know they have this anti-white prejudice i think that they think that elites are crazy as far as gender theory and this other stuff and i think that like that's like 90 percent of like the anti, probably they dislike immigration too. Uh, well, I, I mostly like immigration. So I mean, even this is one that I disagree with, but I think a lot of people just don't like immigration. And so I think just like a handful of issues does actually inspire a backlash and make people dislike um, the media and dislike elites. Um, I just don't think it's like everything about the system. I think like whatever, like the regulatory state, if it was one way instead of another way, like, I don't know if that would like make a difference. That's, that's harder to prove. I, I think it, probably comes down to something that's continually sliding in every measure we have, which is trust, right? If, if I don't think it's so much about, yes, each one of these things that you uh, highlighted is a hot button topic on which lying was important, right? Um, but I think whichever one of those topics, uh, somebody, eventually people just assume that somebody is maliciously lying to them, right? And it may not be maliciousness in, in you know, many cases. It, it, it may be incompetence or, or simply the kind of blind I- ideological bias that leads people to, you know, all of us to some extent, like uh, to, to make leaps that aren't justified by the underlying facts, right? Um, but I think at some point people naturally conclude that a certain source of information is lying to them. And that is a rational conclusion. Uh, but I can see how operating with that rational conclusion in the world leads you then to sources that, you know, may lie to you about other stuff, right? Like they may tell you the truth on this thing that the mainstream lied to you about, but, um, you know, they may lie to you on something else. Like this is this is a, a Wild West media landscape, which I think is a good thing, the democratization of media. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I, it, this seems very like clearly connected. To be the, the failure of the 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 um the main networks to competently cover not just the, the stories you listed, but I think like they just pile up on each other. If it were one or two or three, right? Like I think the accumulation of the lying always in one direction, right? It's it's like the grocery rece- receipts. Uh, you always get overcharged, not undercharged, right? Like the mistakes all go quote unquote mistakes all go in the same direction. And at some point, people simply conclude, and I think completely, again, completely rationally, like, these people are lying to me. I'm going to seek out the people they say are lying to me because maybe they're telling the truth. And Or they simply just Google and find somebody who's saying, that's why I say I think it runs the opposite direction. So I think more people find conspiratorial figures because they Google something like real story about COVID because they become disillusioned with the story they've been told, they find someone who gives a, a cogent explanation that makes a lot more sense than the mainstream explanation. And then from then on, they trust that person more. Right. I, so that's why I'm, I'm saying, I think it's direct, the directionality I think runs the other way. I don't think it's because there are more of these figures than there were before saying wild sort of things about the way the world is constructed. I think it's that people are finding them and creating them and, and in fact creating an enormous demand for it um, because they're looking for alternative sources of information because they've become disillusioned. Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah. I don't, again, I, mean, I don't know how you'd empirically prove this other than yeah. rates of people who believe in XYZ conspiracy theory, which is always difficult to prove because first you have to agree on which things are conspiracy theories yeah, <laughs> before you, have to you measure sh- yeah. it. And you have to measure how bad the media is at any particular point in time. Yeah, there's there's a there's a lot there. Um, okay, let's. Uh, yeah, I wanted to have uh, you know a significant amount of time for your article in the Blaze uh, called uh, "California Republican Party Surrenders to the New to the Left and New Party Platform." Now, uh, you know, I live in California. I think we have the last statewide official. I think someone might have won um in the last election do you know this uh last california elected what statewide. statewide the last republican, republican who won you mean yeah 
Yeah. Uh, Not many. Yeah, I, there might, it was, uh, uh, yeah, Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, 2006. So yeah, bad. That's a very bad record. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger hard, hardly counts. Someone on the right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, that's 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 the question, right? Because okay, so your article it talks about how they, you know, they softened their views on gay marriage, on abortion, on voter ID, and a few other issues. And you know, like to be, like to be, like you're, you have to do something, right? If you're the minority party, um, like Larry, like Larry Hogan, right? Um, you might not like some things about him, but he was a popular governor in Maryland. Uh, uh, Vermont has a, a, a very popular Republican governor. Uh, New Hampshire was Sununu. Uh, so it's possible. Um, Republicans do win statewide offices in some states. Um, and what do all these guys have in common? I mean, they're not people who could win a Republican presidential primary, um, obviously. So, you know, I, I just think, you know, I, I'm, you know, I think I'm pretty much fine with it. I mean, not on every issue. There are probably some issues where they could have, you know, held firm. Like you talked about, they, uh, they adopted the left's language on homelessness. I think you can probably be a successful party and be a little bit harder on the homeless. But overall, like the question of whether like state Republican parties should moderate, um, I think it's generally, uh, you know, a good thing. So do you, uh, do you disagree with that? So first, let me say, I, I don't, I'm not against running moderate Republicans in moderate in states, for example, that are blue or purple, um, necessarily as, as like a blanket rule. Uh, but in California, so first of all, it's quite extensive, the list that they're surrendering on, or like maybe on abortion, you could make the case that it's such a like hot political topic now after Dobbs, it's really been, been, uh, helping the fortunes of the democratic party. Okay. Maybe I mean, it's, it's, uh, you're certainly going to be stabbing a large part of your own base in the back, but there's like a political calculation to be made there. Uh, something like gay marriage also is obviously overwhelmingly one direction. Although I will point out that they didn't just drop the the opposition to gay marriage. They dropped all of the language around the traditional family. So they, the Republican Party in California cannot even say something like the best environment for children uh, to grow up in is their biological married parents. Right. They 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 removed language to that oh, effect. This is a very pro-gay state. A lot uh, of gays consider that well, a micro I, I think it's kind of pathetic that they can't say something that's supported by that much social science research, right? Um, which doesn't actually necessarily contradict the idea of gay marriage even, right? So, so they go far beyond just dropping the idea well, of marriage does the, state the union have between have a man a, and a woman. Why does, why does the state party have to have a position on the social science Because it's issue? the platform. It's the state platform. Like all political true. parties have a list of things that ostensibly they stand for. Okay, and and so they've dropped those things. They've also softened their language on Prop 13, which is like basically the only you know victory of the California yeah, right in in 40 years. <laughs> they need to keep taxes low. Yeah, okay, um, I agree with that one, and probably and, good. And they, so they seriously softened it. They had a whole section like very strongly defending it. Now they have like a line at the end and it's kind of soft language about it. They've dropped things that are very popular, like voter ID, which is popular even with Democrats. Right? Um, they dropped language. They had some actually very prescient language in their last platform, uh, uh, the one that's being revised now, on how, in that family section, um, some pointed language about the fact that you know education should not be used as a vehicle for social and political indoctrination. They dropped that, even though that's a, uh, I would say that's like a very grassroots issue that pulls in a lot of moderates. It pulls in, and finally, on top of all of this, this like giant surrender caucus. Uh, you know, changes that they've made overall. And, and in, in argument to what you're saying about Sununu, Sununu, that's his name, right? Sununu. Um, that guy got elected. And the California Republican Party has run a series of moderates. It's not like they were running other than Larry Elder the last cycle. The California Republican Party has tried running moderates, pro-choice moderates, especially social moderates. They have tried over and over and over again. They have failed over and over and over again. And I would say if your your whole theory is, well, you've got to give up on all of these issues that, you know, at, at some point you give up on everything that makes it worth voting for a Republican to begin with. But you, you're telling your base, essentially, you, you got to sacrifice some of the things you care about so that we can get someone elected and do some of the things that you also care about, Right. They don't. They don't follow in, a, follow through on their half of that bargain. They don't get elected. The only Republican that they've ever gotten elected was Arnold Schwarzenegger. And first of all, 
that was, I, I don't know if you were in the state at the time, but I mean, it, it, there was a recall election of like massive scandal recall election. It was kind of the wild west or a bunch yeah. of different. Arnold, I mean, was a very Hollywood figure. Yeah, Hollywood figure. Yeah. I mean, big, big <laughs> A-list celebrity. Yeah. There was, was a porn a, star running. <laughs> um, yeah. No, it, it was kind of a wild thing. And, and it was understood as the only opportunity for a Republican to win. And pretty much it was understood that whoever they nominated would likely win because of the massive scandal of the Democratic governor and the way the race was split into different candidates. Um, and I would argue that Arnold Schwarzenegger, actually, I think there's a very good argument to be made that Jerry Brown uh, was a more conservative governor of California than Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger's legacy is a bunch of propositions that shifted the state to the left massively. Yeah. So I think California has had a sort of, uh, yeah, I don't think Republicans are winning in California no matter what. Um, you know, as far as a, uh, uh, as far as a general, uh, question of like states, you know, uh, state parties moderating. I think there, the problem is, you know, California, like I said, doesn't probably doesn't matter, but I think what's happened in, for example, Michigan. Um, is pretty bad. So Michigan has become like a super, uh, the party has become super Trumpy. I mean, Trump did okay in Michigan. He won in 2016, almost won in 2020. Um, but they nominated someone who was extreme on abortion. Um, with basically they, they bought into Trump's 2020, uh, stuff on the election. And the Republicans have been creamed in the last few election cycles in, in Michigan. I mean, they've just been, uh, they've just been destroyed. Um, so like, you know, isn't that something? worth worrying about i mean shouldn't the michigan shouldn't michigan republicans be more uh establishment and sort of moderate just so they can win i I think you're conflating a bunch of different terms that i'm not sure are synonymous right uh so there there are two issues here just to pick out one contradiction or not contradiction or tension perhaps uh there's a difference between running your entire election on the idea that the 2020 election was rigged and stolen um, and supporting a policy like voter ID that's massively popular, not just with Republicans, but with moderates and Democrats. Um, I think you could call those both whatever. Um, you, I don't think one is establishment or, or even more moderate than the other. It's more like a campaign choice. Yeah, um, I don't think voter ID is the thing that sinks them. I think abortion is the thing that sinks them. Um, I think they, the party, uh, the, the governor candidate, the gubernatorial candidate, I think said some things on abortion. I mean, you know, they should, they, the three, they should probably just be, you know, the best case scenario, just being, uh, pro-choice. They don't have to go that far, but I think they need, I think there need, there needs to be a way to like, I mean, I, I, that's the only way you're going to win. That's the only way you're going to have a chance in these states. Otherwise you're screwed. And Michigan was a, a, a so I, state I, I think abortion is to some extent a unique issue that I want to bracket in the discussion and maybe I can give you my views on it politically, but I think it is somewhat unique in the sense that it just got thrown back into the political mix. Right. Um, and I think that's a good thing that, that it was thrown back into the political mix. Cause I think we desperately need an exercise of, uh, of real democratic debate and, and, uh, fight over a deeply, emotional and moral issue. I think it's a good thing. I don't like the um, abstraction away from what is really ought to be like sort of the heart of state democratic issues, right? Uh, Which is moral issues, for example, everything having to do with police powers in the states. I think it's been very bad for the country that the Supreme Court has yanked these issues out of circulation. I think we needed to fight them out. and and then the other half of the yanking out, of course, is the mass administrative state, which applies less to abortion, but to many other like sort of issues are being they're being decided outside of the political arena in a very fundamental way. And I think that that's bad for the country and for the governance structure. But I, I do yeah. think abortion is unique in the sense that this is the first, you know, these are the first set of elections, the midterms and now are the first set of elections where this is actually a live issue in a way that it, it wasn't. And I think it makes sense to me that it'll take some time for, for the parties. In a sense, the fact that abortion was constitutionalized illegitimately um, allowed both parties to be really dishonest about it. Um, it I, I think the, the left got to be super, super dishonest. They might be able to continue being super dishonest because I'm not sure the Republican party is politically competent enough to actually nail them to the wall on things that they could be. Oh, I, I, yeah, um, I, dis- I think but, I disagree. Uh, 
yeah, I think we're, I think you don't, the you don't think that the left is, no, just purely forget about what your views are on abortion. You don't think that the left is dishonest in the sense that there's still so many of their voters who think that safe, legal, and rare is the position of the Democratic Party. I, I think that the voters, uh, I think both parties have positions on abortion that are extreme, but I think the liberals extreme position, if people are forced to choose, and I've written this before, between the liberal p- extreme position, which is abortion up to birth, and maybe maybe even afterwards, and the conservative one of like, actually having the government in there, uh, I think people are, I think people are going to go with the left wing position. I don't think many people care about late term fetuses. I mean, I just don't think they do. They'll say in a poll that like, okay, after 16 weeks, that's the moderate position. But people are not fooled, because they know that as soon as you have six, 16 week ban, they know that the pro life movement wants to go further than that, right? I mean, they'll they'll tell you that themselves um and so yeah i think it's just always going to be bad politics for republicans because when people are forced to choose okay are you going to give the pro-life people are you going to give the pro-choice people too much power they're always going to give the pro-choice people too much power i think that's the referendum show that i mean always is a really well every every, nicer word than what i'm thinking but like always is a ridiculous word to use with regard to democratic politics on any kind of issue i i (laughs) I, I wouldn't even well, dispute okay, sort of the, almost, the characterization almost. that maybe when people are given this choice, um, but I think it very much depends on the state, right? If you, you take the median voter, even in something like Ohio, that is now apparently voting to try to preserve the row status quo. So let's say the median voter in Ohio is probably way more horrified by late term abortion than the median voter I, in I don't California. Think I don't think there's any evidence of that. They, the, the, the voters have had state after state referendum. And so Montana had a vote where deliver care to infants born alive. It failed. It was like 60-40 against. I mean, I think people are freaked out by any restrictions on abortions, and that's Montana. Uh, so like these, these referendums are basically creating like an absolute right to abortion. People here are like, it's going to, you know, liberals are going to use it. No, like people, there are a lot of different states, and this question was asked a lot of different ways, and they've never been close. I mean, it would never. I mean, it hasn't been that long. It's been two cycles um you know who knows i don't know but if there's, there's, like there's the counter no example so most of the plebiscites have been one way but they the, the the um propositions have been written mostly uh by the left I, I would be very curious to see what would happen if the republican party started to introduce a series of propositions for example restricting abortion and accepting cases no, the, of, ca- the kansas of, um, the kansas one and the montana weeks. one the kansas no, one I'm, and the I'm montana curious. one yeah, we're written by that was the we're legislature, but, but I have many counterexamples about the legislatures. In other words, there have been plenty of red and even purple legislatures that have put in restrictions and have not suffered oh, the legislatures. for doing that. Yeah, the, legis- the legislatures will do it. And right, maybe so but you're talking about Montana. What, which one are you? Because you said the, the I'm, legislature. I'm, I'm talking about, refer- I'm talking about referendums. A referendum. So if I just don't know. Yeah. I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of all the – but I'd be curious to see what would happen with a series of 15-week uh, yeah. of referendum propositions. Um, but regardless – the dishonesty that I was talking about was th- there are still a lot of people in the country that just don't believe what the democratic position is on abortion. They don't know that. I, and by believe, I don't mean agree with, I mean like they, they believe that Republican, I'm sorry, that the democratic party has a much more moderate position than it actually does. Um, and then similarly, you know, having the issue constitutionalized has allowed Republican politicians to, you know, fundraise off of their pro-life base um, by promising, you know, things that would be probably very unlikely through democratic politics. Um, so I, I think that it's a good thing to throw this back in the mix. That being said, all of this discussion about abortion, I think, is unique for specific, like, as in, this was an issue that was completely illegitimately stolen out from under the American people to to give have all of the debates about where they want the line to be for since 1973. And it's only been back in circulation and in politics for like a year and a half. And I think it's probably, um, I, I, I think a lot of the hysteria around it will probably die down. Um, especially because people don't, people don't know what Roe codified either. They don't know what Casey codified I think people are going to probably take some time to consider what they think on this issue. And, and I think we're probably going to end up with a patchwork of, of laws where you have very, that reflect the views of people, which is, you know, in New York and California is going to be extremely liberal. Um, and in a lot of red states is going to be quite restrictive, probably not as restrictive as the 
the pro-life movement has been promised for the last 30 years by Republican politicians who would never have to actually take a vote on it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, is where we'll end up. Um, you know, and I think that, yeah, there's some States where, uh, yeah, I mean, like Republicans are going to win no matter what. So it'd be almost, you know, it would be impossible to lose even if they were out of, uh, public, you know, uh, out of step with public opinion. But if you want to moderate a position, like, first of all, the party platform is a statement of what you would want, you know, uh, you know, ideally, right? And it doesn't mean that you run on every single piece of the platform. There's going to be political decisions that make, there's no binding requirement for your, you know, people elected in the party to vote the way the platform is, but it's a statement about what the party believes going forward. Um, and to that extent, I think it's important. And if you're going to moderate on a series of issues, you better have a really good argument for your base as to why they need to accept that their representatives are not going to reflect the reasons that they're voting for them. And I think there's an enormous gap, again, to return it to trust. Uh, the Republican base was told that John McCain and then Mitt Romney, right, were going to win. And they had to accept John McCain and Mitt Romney, who were to the left of them on many issues, uh, because they were going to win. And I, I think we underestimate how much the base doesn't give a flying about it anymore. This argument about like moderation to win because Trump won and nobody called him, you know, sort of establishment moderate, even though he has some moderate positions on various policy issues. And I, I just, I don't, I don't think that argument is going to fly with voters. And what California is doing is stabbing the people who actually vote for the party in the back on a failed quixotic attempt that they've tried already so many times. Meg Whitman, pro-choice. And she lost in, right. in a huge Republican wave year, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, that is how the Republican base feels. Um, it didn't, it worked out well in 2016. It didn't work out well in uh, 2022. So yeah, we, the base is what it is and we'll, we'll see what happens. Okay. We'll see you next week.